0: I've been obsessed with HGTV since I was 15. I uh, used to watch it like very, very passionately all all year long. So I've, I've always liked real estate and uh, I learned that, yeah, one of the paths to fire is through real estate. So why not give that a go?
1: Welcome to the On Fire podcast, episode 26. With your hosts, Matt and Kellen. In the On Fire podcast, we discuss financial independence, real estate investing, frugality, minimalism, and living within your means. Before we jump into this episode,
2: please jump over to whatever app you're listening to this on and leave us a five-star rating and a written
1: review. It would mean the world to us and we'd love reading your feedback. Angie is a great person to speak with and learn from, especially for the beginner investor who wants to see what a first year in real estate investing can look like. She quickly got involved in burring, flipping, wholesaling, and managed it all with a full-time day
2: job. We have a lot of amazing guests on this podcast, but I love being able to have people that have just kind of begun their fire journey on the podcast. I hope you guys find it as inspiring as
1: we did. This episode is sponsored by Jeff Weibo himself. Jeff told his whole story in episode 6 where he earned over $100,000 in his first year as a real estate agent. He's a major advocate for having social media presence as made clear by his Instagram and YouTube accounts. He also puts on events at The Mansion and co-hosts the Ontario Real Estate Conference. Follow along on his journey on Instagram and YouTube and if you're looking to invest in real estate, contact Jeff through any of his social media accounts. But let's jump into the interview. So Angie is a real estate investor who did eight deals in her first year, including some buy and hold using the Burr investing strategy, some flipping, and even a couple of wholesale deals. Welcome to the show, Angie.
0: Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Thanks for joining.
2: So I'm sure we'll get into this a lot more later, but can you kind of give us a brief summary of what this last year has looked like for you?
0: It's been really crazy really fast paced and uh, really, really exciting. It's been full of real estate learning constantly, but then also uh, really enjoying all of my free time as well.
1: Nice. So what are some of the things you've done in the last year?
0: So yeah, in the past, uh, just over a year, purchased a few properties, flipped a couple properties, traveled, hung out with my dog, hung out (laughs) with friends. Yeah.
1: Awesome. (laughs) And this is all very humble because you've done a lot in this last year. And We're going to dive more into this later, but can you walk us through your background, kind of how you came to discover the idea of financial independence and like your mindset on money in your younger years?
0: Yeah, sure. So I grew up in an upper middle class household. I graduated high school from an all-girls Catholic school, went to Western University, studied healthcare and business. That's what I thought I wanted to do with my life, work at a hospital on the business side of things, running the hospital. And I ended up finding a job in my field, which is, you know, really, I should be really fortunate about that because a lot of people don't. that was working in the healthcare on the business side of things. I thought that's what I was just going to do with the rest of my life. You know, hopefully at the end of my career, make a hundred grand a year and get three to four weeks of vacation a year. And then I could use that to travel the world. And hmm. that was my mindset from all of university, up until late 2017. And uh, yeah, then I I was looking around, I was realizing, I was like, wow, there's so many countries that I want to visit. And if I only get three or four weeks of vacation every year, how the heck am I going to see them all? Because yeah, there's a, there's a lot of countries out there, and some of them require more than uh, a week to see. And yeah, at the same time, I was going through a lot of changes, uh, moved into my first apartment on my own. I got my my dog at the same time around this time, and then I met who is now like my my mentor and one of my best friends, Dan Warren, who's an investor who I think was on we this did an podcast. Him, yeah. yeah. So, and that's how I actually discovered Fire as well was through him. And listening to this podcast. And so, yeah, he got me thinking about the concept of fire, making passive income on the side, or just making enough income to be able to quit your day job and then do what you actually want. And that, for me, was uh, traveling. and spending time with friends and my dog.
1: And you saw real estate as kind of a means for, for building wealth and then also building passive income.
0: Yeah. Like I've been obsessed with HGTV since I was 15. I uh, used to watch it like very, very passionately all all year long. Yes. Yeah, so I've, I've always liked real estate and uh, I learned that, yeah, one of the paths to fire is through real estate. So why not give that a go?
1: Awesome. And how long have you been doing this for now?
0: just over a year.
1: Okay, great. Yeah. So let's dive into the real estate
2: a bit more. How exactly did you get started? What did the first deal look like? How did you get comfortable with the idea?
0: Yeah. So I sat down with Dan and I asked him to explain, you know, what he does. He explained it. He really focuses on student rentals. But then I, you know, I was open to student rentals, open to just investment properties in general, any kind. And then he walked me through, I was like, what What do I do? How do I get started? And he's like, do you like A, B, C? And, you know, that's how you get started. So it was finding a mortgage broker and getting approved for a mortgage was the first step and finding a realtor. And then through that, yeah, eventually you see some houses I and mean, you get approved, uh, pre-approved for a mortgage. And then, uh, yeah, you find you find the right house, you make the offer and <laughs> there you go. But yeah, no, the first deal that I had officially had a successful offer on was a townhouse near uh, the college in London, Ontario. And my realtor found that house for me off market. And I was able to get it for about $20,000 under what the average townhouse around there was going for at the time. So already I had some built-in equity there. And then, uh, yeah, I had an awesome mortgage broker uh, working with me. My realtor was great. And uh, then I was then you have to find a a lawyer as well and then through that you're just in constant communication with that whole team and they uh they tell you what to do and uh you make it work
1: <laughs> so it's a lot about taking action and then and then it's not really that complicated but then also you got access to these con- like the lawyer the real estate agent the broker i assume a lot of these were references right
0: oh yeah yeah i didn't go out and finding all these people on my own there's a huge network here and they have a great list of references for uh, all the all your players to use on your team so uh Yeah, definitely I made use of that.
1: This is tough, right? When you're trying to find good, reliable people, like trying to scour Kijiji and take chances on people, like... I mean, sometimes you need to, but if you have people in your city that are doing what you want to do, reach out to them, try and see if they're willing to share some of the team they're working with. Because if it's not their general handyman, there's a good chance they're not keeping them busy. So they'd be happy generally to, to refer you out to these people.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you, don't, you probably don't want to take chances on an important person like, a, your, like your realtor or your mortgage broker. Those are two really important players to your team.
1: Mm-hmm. So what did your first deal end up looking like?
0: So that townhouse was my my first official deal. I put down five percent on it as a first time homebuyer. I uh, rented it out to a family. I thought I was getting top rent at the time for it, and I argue I was, but I was still not making a lot of money off of it. So I, I purchased it for one fifty five, and it was renting out for fifteen hundred plus utilities. And I, yeah, I thought that was great, but because I was a first time home buyer, there's a fee put on that mortgage as well as condo fees. So I was not making a lot of money then, but it was pretty turnkey from the time I purchased or from the time I closed on it, which was June of 2018 to when I sold it, which was uh, about January, 2019, I'd only put in $1,200 into it. And I ended up selling it for two hundred and thirty thousand. So generally, yeah. a
1: lot of that was probably market appreciation. Plus, yeah. you had, a, like you said, you bought about twenty percent under market value at the time.
0: Yeah, yeah. I would attribute most of it though to crazy market appreciation in that area. The townhouses in that area go for a ridiculous amount of money now.
2: Mm-hmm. So we touched upon it at the start of the interview, but. You're not really specializing with one strategy. You've actually been able to dabble in a lot of different strategies in a short period of time. Would you like to just kind of walk us through what different real estate strategies you've been able to implement in your first year?
0: Yeah. So I had a a townhouse I was renting out to families and that was like, I call it like a half private deal because it was off market, but my realtor had found it for me. I had done a a completely private deal on a duplex rented out to families. Matt, that was (laughs) your property and it's the property I'm currently living in. I had also done a duplex as a student rental. I have purchased and now sold uh, two more of those townhouses near the college, just as quick quick flips, which were really fun. I ended up getting two of those for one seventy six, which were twenty eighteen prices. That was in March twenty nineteen, and then I uh, officially closed on them last about last week or so, and I got sold both of them, one for. Two twenty-five and one for two thirty. So
1: like two two, in two months. months. Yeah, yeah, two two or three months. So how did you how did you actually come across this opportunity? Because we would all love to just buy something way under market value. You didn't really have to put any work into it, right? Like you literally just bought them and then sold them. So how did this opportunity come about?
0: It was two important things. One was the network. That had passed along these properties to me, thinking I'd be interested in them because I have properties in that area, and also my realtor as well was aware of it and knew that I was actively looking and wanted to pass those off to me.
1: Awesome. So you have some student rentals, and then you've also done some multifamily. What like yeah. what are your, what are the different strategies feel like? What, which, do you do you have intentions to go one way or the other? Like how are you analyzing deals and figuring out what you want to buy next?
0: Yeah. So I analyze deals primarily based on the 1% rule, which I'm sure most people will also do mm-hmm. here. And then I, I look at whether or not money can be pulled out of the property. So if it's already like listed at a high amount and it's pretty turnkey, but the rents are good and stuff, like there's going to be a pretty hard chance for money to be pulled out. So I may not you know, go for that kind of property. Mm. I'll go for a property that's under market rent or under market value, and then probably low rents, attempt to get it vacant, and then figure out a way to pull money out probably through like a upper a strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So are you finding that that's something you can do with student rentals as well as multifamily or?
0: Yeah, I, I think you can do it with both. It depends on the property. I was able to get my student duplex under, ask, under market value as well. And I think if I put in a little bit more Work to it, I could, it would appraise for a lot more. I think just because the market's crazy, I could, it would appraise for a lot more than I purchased it at already. But yeah, you you definitely, I think it's probably easier with multifamilies because it's not in the student neighborhood and they're always just picky about the student neighborhoods. And then, yeah, for me, whether or not like what I kind of want to do more of, probably the multifamilies because it's less hands on than student rentals, I've found.
2: So Mm -hmm. you've been a real estate investor for about a year. What was your biggest struggle in the first year as an investor? Um, A lot of people I know are concerned about property management, dealing with tenants, finding deals.
0: Yeah, I've had a few struggles along the road. One of the struggles would be like I had a successful offer on a property February 2018, closed on another one April 2018, and then closed on that first one June 2018, then I went on a trip. Closed on another property, September 2018. So like I was like boom, 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 getting all these properties, and then all of the fall was just like a lull. The market was, you know, going crazy. I just couldn't find deals. I made a you know a mistake because I didn't analyze a property correctly, and I just wasn't aware of you know how to properly analyze a property to actually make a good deal. So that one fell through, and I'll always regret it.
2: You mind diving yeah. a bit more into that? I'm sure the audience would love to know sure. what went wrong or what you would suggest in order for them You're to avoid. Dig that.
1: up your worst nightmare. <laughs>
0: yeah, sure, I'd love to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it hurts me every time I think about it, and every time I drive by that property, I like, shake my fist. But yeah, so it was in the fall. It was a triplex. Like looking back, this sounds so stupid, but like at the time, I just didn't know. I'd only been doing it for like six months. But yeah, the property was, I think, listed for maybe 220 as a triplex and had been sitting for a while. So I was like, hey, I got to go see that one. And there was like, oh God, this sounds terrible, but it was like a three bedroom, a two bedroom and a one bedroom. I think one of the units was illegal and the property needed work. At the time, I wasn't comfortable doing renovations because my other ones had been pretty turnkey. And uh, yeah, this one needed probably about at least 30 grand of work. I had run out of my money and was borrowing money at the time. So that probably affected my decision as well. But yeah, I, p- I put in an offer and asked for it vacant and they gave that to me. But and like, I don't know. What it was, was your offer? It was like, I think 200 or something or 205 maybe. And... Then another bidder came in kind of last minute, the the other agent probably told someone. And yeah, there was a a bit of a bidding war. And I just like wasn't I was like comfortable paying 202, not comfortable paying 205 based on my calculations. I was like, I would be like $30,000 in debt afterwards. And I was like, that's going to take me like two years to pay off. Like, I can't do that. And like, you know, little did I know that you could just refinance the place mm-hmm. afterwards. Uh, and this would have been like after doing a purchase plus 30000 in debt. And I, was, I, I didn't know you could like burr on top of that. So then mm. I lost the property and I'll always regret it because that's such a good price.
1: Well, I think like you've learned a lot from our mistakes and I think a lot of people are going to be able to learn from yours. So what's the learning lesson here? Because you had a deal in your hands. You decided not to go and buy it. Like, you know, what's something people could learn from that? Or what did you learn?
0: from Yeah, I, like, I wish I knew all of the strategies of being able to, like, pull money out of the property hmm. kind of beforehand. I think I was rushing into it a lot and then just getting panicked by the, you know, the, the negative amount I'd be stuck with at the end versus kind of learning all the strategies and maybe like I'd be able to reduce that 30,000.
1: And I think you said you were willing to pay 202 but not 205 like, like how ridiculous been, is that? Well, it might have just been like like a lot of times we get caught up in the emotions of the negotiations. So yeah. it's important to just stick to your numbers, right? It sounded like 205 actually did work well in your numbers. Like you would have pulled the trigger
0: Oh, like now, or even like a few months later. Like mm-hmm. if you would have presented me with this deal, I would have taken it in a second without mm-hmm. even thinking. So.
1: Yeah, we get really caught up in in the, in the negotiations. So. like yeah. I said, stick to the numbers. And like I, I don't enough. know. Yeah,
0: it was like what else was there? Like it was like one of the you know the doors was low, so I don't even know if like if there were, like, a fire issue like. I don't even know if it would be able to be, like, a legal unit. And so, like, that was, you know, weighing on me. Hmm. There was renovations I didn't know how to do. So, that was also weighing on me. And, like, one of the pieces of equipment was, like, needed to be replaced. And then I didn't know, like, were they going to replace it with, like, a crappy one or something Hmm. like that. And, yeah. Yeah. Like, all these little things, like, looking back was nothing. But at the time was, like, a little
1: stressful. Overwhelming, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was overwhelming.
1: So since then you've done, you've done a whole bunch of deals. So what else, what are some other deals that stand out in your mind?
0: The two townhouse flips were really cool because Mm. a power of social media actually comes into play with that deal. So I really want to talk about Mm. that. Yeah, Yeah, so through the network, I was presented with an offer to buy some townhouses, again, listed at 2018 prices, and I could do whatever I want with them. The thing is, it was part of a five package deal. So there were five townhouses that need to be sold. One was going to be sold to uh, the agent who presented me with this. One was going to be sold to his client, I wanted two of them and then there was one left over and it was in a less desirable area or slightly less desirable area. And I I couldn't financially like close on all three. I wouldn't have been approved through the bank or anything. So I put, you know, the word out on my Instagram story saying like, hey, buy this townhouse for like under market value. And yeah, he an investment property, and I just like threw out a hail mary because without like the seller was the sellers like got like two thousand units, and he wanted to get rid of all of them as a package deal, or you know he wouldn't sell four, he had to sell all five, and so basically I like couldn't find anyone, so then the the deal was like silent and like a kind of done for like at least a week. And I posted that Hail Mary. And someone who follows me on Instagram, who I didn't know, reached out to me and wanted all the details. So I sent her all the details. And it turns out she's a real estate agent in London and she wanted an investment property. What I should mention is that, sorry, the seller's agents and the property and like my agent and stuff, they couldn't advertise these properties because there was something to do with like the seller's business partner or something was a realtor. So, like, there was issues there. So, like, they couldn't actually advertise these properties, which is why they're having such a hard time selling mm-hmm. them. But anyways, this lady reached out to me on Instagram and she wanted an investment property. And I figure like, so like, you know, there's a few people reaching out and stuff, but like, no, no one was actually going to like pull the trigger on these things, but mm-hmm. she actually did. And she contacted the realtor who was representing these properties and got everything in play. And so then because of her, like we're actually able to close on this and like in this deal in like two weeks. So, and that wouldn't have happened if I didn't put it on my Instagram. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. that was a really cool deal. And I didn't even know who she was. I've never met her before. And then at the most recent fire meetup, someone came up to me. She's like, hi, I'm Amanda. And I bought that townhouse. I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. Like, and then she's like, no, thank you. And yeah, so she's, she's going to be doing a flip. I did my flips and yeah, it it was just really cool.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, that is. So I know that we'll get into it later, but you're going to be traveling very soon. How are you approaching managing your properties while you're not in the country?
0: Yeah. Well, I'll be down to two and a half kind of when I leave. Like I'll have two and then kind of closing on one that I'm going to keep vacant for the duration of the trip probably. But uh, because there's only two, and they're all tenanted with tenants that I've selected. So I don't have any bad tenants anymore. They kind of run themselves.
1: A lot of stuff, a lot of management these days in real estate is text messaging, phone calls, e-transfers, and then having like a couple of people that you can kind of trust that can run over the property and fix things if you need them to and yeah. you pay them remotely.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like they, the properties kind of run themselves. If there's an issue, they, they just, the tenants text me and then I've got like a handyman uh, that can go over and, and fix stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll have, yeah, I'll have my cell phone plan where I am. So it won't be hard to like reach them or anything.
1: That's great. So when you were building this portfolio, I mean, you're down to two right now, Mm -hmm. but you're going to be buying the third Mm -hmm. and then you've been, you've been getting mortgages on it with your full-time job. And then what happened recently? Uh, There was a big change in your life.
0: Yeah. I, not sure if we should talk about it yet. Oh. That the property is not being is closed oh. on it, but I am taking a break from my career <laughs> and, for just a tiny bit, and then coming back and getting another job <laughs> later. Yeah, you no, know, the the timing actually worked out pretty amazing. That I've always wanted to do like a really really long trip, but again, if you work a regular like nine to five job, you only get three to four weeks of vacation per month. So I wanted. A really really long trip, and uh, yeah, it just worked out that I am on a break from. We're not even
1: releasing this episode until like a month or so. So perfect, (laughs) perfect. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. You can thank. Well, I think
1: it's worth getting into the story because so
0: Doug Ford laid me on.
1: So you were laid off from your job, right? So a lot of times people, when they're in that scenario, it'd be like a really major hit in their life. But there's a good reason why it's not like there's a good reason why this wasn't even a big stressor in your life.
0: Yeah, I had I had coworkers messaging me saying, oh, we're so sorry. Like, you know, they were so sad. And I was like, dude, relax. I just, you know, wholesale two properties. I just I got two wholesale fees selling two townhouses like Mm. like this year selling all three condos I've made like Almost triple my salary mm-hmm. in like in a few months, like I'm like, don't worry, colleagues, I'm good, yeah, and then I'm off to travel for three months, like don't worry about me. <laughs>
1: So so okay, let's get into the travel. So what's what's the plan at this point? You've been laid off from your job and you got some travel plans.
0: <laughs> yeah, the travel plans were already kind of in effect. Last May, I went to Iceland and toured the ring road in a camper van and slept in the van while I drove around the country. And that was amazing. And I wanted to do that again. And then, yeah, I discovered that people convert sprinter vans and travel around and a lot of people actually live in them. And yeah, so... That's what I'll be doing. What are you doing? (laughs) Traveling around in the van in the States. Yeah, we're going for three months.
1: Nice. And living Mm -hmm. in the van, checking out national parks, that kind of thing. Yep.
0: National parks, beaches. That's awesome. Eating a lot of uh, vegan food.
1: (laughs) (laughs) because you talked about when you have the full-time job, it's difficult. Like you were looking at your lifestyle, like, hey, I want to be able to travel more. I can't do it with a day job. I only got three weeks vacation or whatever it is. So like you've built an opportunity in your life where you can take three months to be able to do whatever it is you want. And then when you get back, you can get a job, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And like for me, like... When it comes to traveling, like obviously people have like, you all the main things you need to see, like you need to go to France and you need to go to, I don't know, like Australia. But like, I also want to go to these little tiny places that like no one like really travels to and stuff. Like I'm so excited to go to like, I don't know, Rhode Island, New Hampshire. And like, if, if I only had three to four weeks of vacation a month, like I wouldn't be choosing like Connecticut to go to. Hmm. I would I'd be choosing like, I don't know, like Switzerland for the week or mm-hmm. something like that. But now that I have so much time off, I can really explore all these, you know, little pockets of the world. That's awesome. Yeah.
2: What's your long term plan with your financial independence journey? Do you have a five year plan?
0: Yeah. So in in five years, I really hope to be retired from a day job and just doing the real estate full time and then hopefully kind of making that more passive as well, because eventually I don't even want to have to think about anything and then just, you know, spend my time doing everything that I love. Cause I don't think everyone, like, it's, I don't think it's anyone's goal to be like a landlord. I mm. think it's, it's a means to something else. And I think some people like really enjoy being a landlord. And like, I mean, I, I, I do, but I don't think you know, it's like, that's my passion life. And that's my goals. I want to be a landlord. No, you Hmm. want to make money through real estate.
2: So have you broken that goal down into like a number of units or a number of properties or dollar Um, per month in cash flow? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'd love to do like end up with eight to 10 properties by the time I'm able to quit my day job within, yeah, hopefully in about five years, maybe four by the time I'm 30. And then I'd also, uh, yeah, passively I'd love anywhere from like, eight to 10 K a month.
1: Mm -hmm. So around a thousand dollars a month per property.
0: Yeah. And maybe some will be more, maybe some will be like a really good deal with a huge multifamily building and some will be like, you know, 1.5 to 2 K a month. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And a lot of that would be, I assume, focused on the Burr investing strategy. So you can kind of keep up the momentum of your money.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause you can't just keep buying houses like, you know, with a $50,000 a year salary. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Nice. So what is like your ideal lifestyle look like? And and does it match anything like the lifestyle you have right now?
0: The lifestyle I have right now kind of reflects what I what I want to do. Yeah, well, especially now being on a little career break, it's pretty ideal what I want. <laughs> but yeah, no, like my ideal day is yeah, waking up, going for a hike with my dog, eating a awesome vegan breakfast, probably a smoothie bowl, <laughs> and then going for more vegan food at lunch, and just yeah, just hanging out with friends and going on fun day trips, and then planning planning the next trip. And probably maybe, yeah, maybe doing like more, uh, like discovering more like passion projects and stuff too.
2: Awesome. Well, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are interested in getting into real estate or potentially speeding up their real estate journey. And it sounds like having a mentor was definitely helpful towards you on your journey. Do you mind maybe breaking down any tips or suggestions for people that are, they're on the sidelines right now for real estate investing, they want to get in, but they're looking for some guidance. How do you find that mentor?
0: Yeah, having a mentor was everything to me. I definitely wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for Dan to get me started. And then the whole network now to kind of help me continue along the journey. Finding a mentor, I don't know, it happened just so organically. And Dan and I just became really good friends throughout the whole process too. But I think there's a lot of people out there that are offering mentorship if you ask for it, but I think it's, you kind of have to just like, you have to get to know them a little bit first. I think make some kind of connection first and don't just be like, hi, nice to meet you. I'm Angie. Can like you be my mentor kind of thing. And you actually have to be committed as well. I've had people reach out to me on like Facebook and stuff and asking me cause they're like, Oh, you know, we watched a YouTube video. Can you be my mentor <laughs> or something like that? And like, and then or like I, you know, I help them, I ask, they uh, have a ton of questions, I answer them all. And then like, they then they just like drop off the face of the earth and like, don't end up buying the property that they were planning on buying and stuff. And then, mm-hmm. yeah. And then it's like, if you actually have to do stuff or in like, you know, take the advice of the mentor in order for them to actually want to help. For Dan, you know, he's helped so many people over the years and answered so many questions for people, but- a lot of times like he would give them advice and then they go and do the opposite or they don't do it at all mm-hmm. and you know it's it can be a little bit frustrating because like well why am i giving all this advice if you don't even listen but for me dan told me to do you know a b and c i did a b and c and you know like these are the results and then i just you know keep coming back to him i listen to him for like 99 percent of the, like, the advice he gives me except for like movie choices but like those <laughs> are <laughs> worst, <laughs> but for anything, real estate, like I, like I'm really taking his advice into account. And, and that's why I think he saw something different in me and wanted to, you know, keep helping me because I actually did what he recommended. And that would be the advice I would give as well.
1: Cause you're on the other side of things now, right? Like, well, you're, you're st- I think We should always all, ha- we should have mentors at all stages in our lives, but at some point we should also be mentors to other people. Yeah. And now you're seeing like, If you're trying to be a mentor to someone who doesn't take action, like that's just going to be really frustrating, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, no. Like I saw like this one thing. It's like yeah, this person reached out to me on Instagram like months and months ago, and he you know presented to me this property that he was like thinking about getting, and I you walked him through all his options and blah blah blah. He's like, wow, thanks so much, blah blah blah. Can you be my mentor? And I was like, (laughs) sure, whatever. And we had been talking for a while. I was like, sure, I can help you. And then like you know he's asking me more questions, blah blah blah. And then he just stops, and then like months later, like, posts in a Facebook group, I'm looking for a mentor. Can someone help me find one? Or, like, and and help me stay, like, engaged or something. And I'm like, okay, well, first of all.
1: They have it backwards, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. First of all, you should be engaged yourself. Mm-hmm. And second of all, like, that's not how you go about doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think there are, there are mentors out there whose job it is to kind of keep you accountable and and that kind of thing. But like, (laughs) and to be honest, I think
2: people are pretty fluid with their words these days, but Mm -hmm. I think what a lot of people want when you're looking for someone just to keep you accountable, odds are what you actually want is a coach. And so often that comes with a fee. So like there's a cost involved with that. But if you need someone to kind of ride you in order for you to stay consistently engaged with it i think that that's where a coach comes into play mm-hmm. where a mentor is definitely more for someone that's self-motivated they're self-driven they essentially they likely have already flushed out what their why is so they already they have that internal drive to accomplish that why where a lot of other people i think they need a coach they need someone that's going to babysit them through the steps Whip them into shape yeah yeah i
0: completely agree
2: it's a really important distinction to be made <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And so like for myself, I'm familiar with the idea of getting DMs of people asking oh, if yeah. you can mentor them. And one of the biggest things is, you know, you need to self educate before you go to a mentor. So if, if you could solve the question that you're about to ask your mentor or your would be mm-hmm. mentor with like a five second Google, like the moment someone asks me what Burr stands for, and yet they've already asked me to be their mentor, like, <laughs> Just all emotion drains from my home <laughs> no. and I just lose all hope and humanity. Yeah.
0: Oh, no. So I
2: think it's really important to make sure w- when you are fostering this potential mentorship relationship to effectively use it. And again, you know, a lot of people, they don't want to necessarily share their progress when they're first starting out in real estate investing. However, you need to be sharing that with your mentor to show them that you've at least done A, you mm-hmm. know, like don't wait until you've done A, B and C to check in with them. Do A. And then be like, hey, man, I did A. I'm about to move on to B. You know, this is important to me. I'm following through.
1: Mm -hmm. I think that that's a Mm -hmm. major, major tip that I'd like to share with the audience. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. All right. Well, let's jump into the fire four. So the first question, Angie, what are you grateful for?
0: I'm like so much um, grateful for all of my friends. I have this amazing social network that I didn't really have a few years ago cuz being from a or graduating from a, a university in a student town a lot of people go back home and stuff and I stayed here. So it's it's really nice now having a really tight knit circle of friends. Um really excited or really grateful for just the love my dog gives me <laughs> and the opportunities to travel, the success I've had with real estate. Yeah, and this uh this little traveling adventure that we're going on. <laughs>
2: That's awesome. So is there a guilty pleasure or a tool you couldn't live without?
0: I'm addicted to my cell phone, but I'm sure everyone is. And then also like junk food, vegan food. I also can't live without and would love to eat it a lot more.
1: (laughs) So is there a frugality tip or a life hack that you'd like to share with the listeners? Maybe whether it's related to travel, saving money, or just like your living your day-to-day expenses.
0: I mean, living in a a van for three months versus staying at an Airbnb or staying at hotels or even Mm -hmm. staying at campsites can be a lot more frugal because, yeah, a lot of the times you can stealth camp and sleep on a road and not have to pay for any kind of accommodations and we can go to a Walmart, pick up groceries, cook our meals in there. We don't have to eat out at restaurants every time or at the hotels. And a lot of, I'm lucky that a lot of the things I want to see in the States are not, there's, you know, there's not really a fee to see. I mean, a little fee to like go into the parks and, you know, but like, you know, beaches and wildlife and stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm here to see that and less so like, you know, museums and shopping malls.
1: Mm-hmm. And we didn't even touch on it earlier, but you're doing house hacking as well. So yeah, your yeah. living expenses are... Basically...
0: Yeah, I guess that's probably a better <laughs> frugal <hack. laughs> Well, no, it's just
1: you're living for free on a, on a monthly basis in your house, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I would actually argue I'd maybe get paid 100 or $200 a month because, yeah, the, the tenants at the front of my house pay for all the expenses of the house and, and then some.
1: Nice.
2: Yeah. yeah, that's very powerful. So our last Fire 4 question is, what would the hero of your own movie do right now in your life?
0: I have no idea. Um.
1: (laughs) So this is a particularly tough question. And, We asked this question to Andrew Hines, and he really broke it down nicely in that, like, it's typically going to be something that's higher risk. So, like... Is there something
2: you know you should be doing or that, like, the best version of you would be doing?
0: Oh, yeah. They'd be doing a lot more. (laughs) Doing so much more. They would be, like, constantly reading up on, like, every financial book, like, out there, every audio book, every podcast, they would be exercising for an hour every day. They would be eating a whole foods plant-based diet. Yeah. They would have the van already finished because we leave in a week. Yeah. They'd just be like, you know, next level successful. Awesome. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you for being on the show. Before we wrap up, is there some way that uh, guests can get in touch with you if they want to reach out?
0: Yeah. Yeah. They can follow me on Instagram. It's just Andrew Favoli. No like spaces or anything.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah,
0: That would be the best.
1: Awesome. And
2: then we also like to, before we wrap up the episode, have our guests ask a question of the audience. Is there a question you'd like to put out to the audience?
0: Yeah, sure. I'd like to ask what country would you like to travel to and stay in a camper van at?
1: Nice. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Appreciate you Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks
2: again to Angie, and I hope this episode will inspire some of you to actually make the leap. If you've been kind of stuck in analysis paralysis or holding yourself back, I hope that you'll actually really listen to this podcast and use it as motivation to take action. And maybe this time next year, you'll
1: be on the On Fire podcast. It's great to see how something like a layoff from a job can actually be welcomed news and turned into a great opportunity to take a three-month trip, knowing that some FU money was always kind of there in case a stable job became unstable. 100% 100% agree. And
2: while you guys are waiting for the next episode, jump over to Facebook and join the London on Fire community and make sure to follow us on Instagram at onfirepodcast. And make sure to tune into the next On
1: Fire podcast to meet more people, hear their stories, and learn from their mistakes. Thanks for listening. This is Matt and Kellen signing off. And until next episode, remember, f- being normal,
2: buying stuff doesn't make you happy. And always remember what Paul Cole said. If you think adventure
1: is dangerous, try routine. It's lethal.